What do you do in exile? That's the question that our text answers for the people of Judah who found themselves in Babylonian captivity in the 6th century BCE. And I thought about this text and this question while I was watching the movie Wonder Park. Our final movie in the God at the Movie series is this movie, Wonder Park. It has stunning animation. The colors are amazing. There's a very talented group of, of voice actors. The film's director, however, was fired before produ production was complete uh, because an investigation revealed multiple complaints of inappropriate and unwanted conduct. Oh, that's not so good. There was kind of a bit of a cloud hanging over this movie, which impacted how it was marketed right before its release. And it was not a hugely popular film, but it made $119 million at the box office nonetheless. Critics were very critical of this movie, yet 81% of Google users said they liked it, all right? <laughs> this wasn't a perfect movie, and yeah, this is made for kids, but there is something worth exploring here for all of us. Early in the movie, we get a view of a splendiferous world called Wonderland. It's an imaginary theme park uh, that a little girl named June and her mother created during their playtimes. June and her mom have an amazing relationship, and June's world is filled with wonder, love, and creativity. But that all changes when her mom gets sick. June's mom has to go away to receive special treatment for her illness. Take a look. thinking. Yeah, that sort of took a dark turn, didn't it? <laughs> thought this was a kid's movie for crying out loud. Well, it's hard for Wonderland to exist without the wonder, right? When June's mother goes away, she stops playing in this imaginary world because it reminds her that her mother isn't there anymore. June not only retreats from her playful imagination, but she retreats from her friends as well. She becomes obsessed with cleaning and with organizing and taking care of her dad and doing all the things that she can kind of keep control of that make her feel safe. But she loses a part of herself. June goes into her own sort of exile. June's situation is completely different than that of the people of Judah who were in Babylonian exile. And of course, June didn't cause her mother's sickness. Her mother 
didn't cause her sickness, yet the trauma of her mother's absence led her into a self-imposed exile. Our text in Jeremiah 29 is clear that God was the one who led the people of Judah into their exile. And just to be clear, the Babylonian exile didn't just happen overnight. Jeremiah was sent to the people of Judah to prophesy, to speak on God's behalf, to warn the leaders and the people to change their ways. They had seen their northern neighbors in Israel get taken into captivity some 120 years earlier by the Assyrian Empire. And the southern kingdom of Judah, where the temple in Jerusalem resided, was in danger of destruction just like their northern neighbors. Jeremiah was sent by God to proclaim a message of repentance, to turn around, to go the other way, so that they could be a land and a people at peace with one another and at peace with God. Prophets often get a bad name. A prophet doesn't want to see destruction because God doesn't want it. In Jeremiah chapter 7, we read about Jeremiah's speech in the temple in Jerusalem prior to its destruction. This is chapter 7, beginning in verse 5. I will be merciful only if you stop your wicked thoughts and deeds and are fair to others. And if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. And if you stop your murdering, and if you stop worshiping idols as you now do to your own harm, then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. Why is it so important to God that the people of Judah change their ways? Because their ancestors had once been slaves in the Egyptian empire for 400 years. Their ancestors knew what it was like to be oppressed, exploited, taken advantage of, or misused. When God led them on the great exodus out of that slavery, God said in Exodus 22, beginning in verse 21, Do not oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Do not exploit widows or orphans. If you do, and they cry out to me, then I will surely help them. God is always listening to the voice of the oppressed. God gives the oppressor chances to change their ways because God's desire is to restore and make all things whole. But God does not force that upon us or anyone else. We have agency and we are able to make these decisions on our own. When you read a prophet like Jeremiah, you need to have Charles Dickens in mind. How many of you know the stories that Dickens tells in A Christmas Carol? Yes, it's very well known. Whether you've read the book, seen one of the thousand movies that are out there, or gone to one of the million theatrical productions, this story captures the heart of a prophetic message. Ebenezer Scrooge is cranky, he's miserly, he's greedy, and he's a selfish business owner who hates Christmas and hates people. Do you remember what he loves to say at Christmas time? Bah humbug, that's right. And Scroo Scrooge treats his clerk, Bob Cratchit, very badly. Scrooge doesn't pay well, doesn't give time off, and expects, expects way too much from Cratchit. Plus, Scrooge has a history of cheating people out of money, including poor widows. In the story, the three spirits of Christmas visit Scrooge in the night and show him his past, his present, and his future. These visions are meant to shock him into seeing what he's become so that he can change his ways and rewrite his future. 
It was the ghost of Christmas future or Christmas yet to come that finally shakes Scrooge to his core. Scrooge sees that he will become what he will become if he doesn't change what he's doing, if he doesn't change his course of action. He gets an insight that most people don't get, the ability to see the outcome of a life lived. And when Scrooge sees the end result of his life, it startles him to change. Greed turns to generosity. Bah humbug turns to Merry Christmas. Selfishness turns to selflessness. Cynicism turns to hope. Misery turns to joy. Why has this story been made into countless theatrical and movie productions? Why has it remained popular for so long? Because we, the viewers, we see the worst parts of ourselves in Scrooge. We put ourselves in his shoes and we want to believe that we can change because we want to change. We also put ourselves in the shoes of Bob Cratchit because we want to believe that people like Scrooge, the ones with the power, the ones with the money, can change too. So the tiny Tims of this world don't have to die for no reason at all. Unfortunately for the people of Judah, they didn't heed Jeremiah's warning, and they ended up in exile, seeing their homes, their temple, the land they knew and loved destroyed must have caused severe distress and trauma. Then to be forced to go into a foreign land with unfamiliar customs, unfamiliar food, and a culture they didn't know was incredibly disorienting. What should they do in exile? That was the big question. How should they respond? Jeremiah gave some practical instructions on God's behalf. The first instruction is, own your stuff. <laughs> you see, Jeremiah, his opening words to the exiles were, this is what your God says, the one who sent you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Up until this point, I haven't talked about who exactly was in the exile. Biblical historians say that maybe 4,600 or so of the, the leaders, the authorities, uh, the, the, the most skilled workers, those who had power, they were the ones, kind of the cream of the crop, were taken from Jerusalem into Babylonian exile. The ones with the authority and the experience to influence, change, and right the wrongs in Judah were now the ones in exile because they didn't use their authority and their privilege to do so. The opening words of Jeremiah's message were a poignant reminder. God sent you into exile because you didn't heed the warnings and you didn't change the ways in which you oppressed those without power back in Judah. When in exile, it's important to own your own stuff to take responsibility for your actions and your attitudes. The second thing God instructed the people to do in exile was to be productive, build, plant, get married, have kids, watch your kids have grandkids, and increase, don't decrease. The people in exile needed to understand what it was like to live on the other side of oppression. They needed to walk a mile in the shoes of those that they had overlooked for so long. And as they grew in understanding over the course of three generations, they could not only maintain their dignity by doing something useful, 
but they could regain their identity as God's representative people. God brought blessing on the people so that they could in turn be a blessing to all nations. Even in the midst of exile, they could regain that identity as they engaged the culture of their oppressors. Don't completely assimilate and lose your identity, but don't shrink back and separate. Now let's go back to the movie. As June was still dealing with her grief, she finds herself in this dreamlike state in the midst of Wonderland where she finally has to deal with her anxieties and her fears and her worries. But the Wonderland that she enters is in disrepair and it has this cloud of darkness hanging over it which literally sucks up pieces of the park into a vortex where nothing returns. She joins up with the team of mascots who run the park to help fix and restore Wonderland to its original glory. And even though June doesn't know whether or not her mother will get better, she decides to have hope, to reclaim who she is, regain her sense of wonder, and rebuild Wonderland. Oh! Wow. Is that? It's June. She did it. She's actually done it. Oh, but you look at that. What's all this about? It's time to bring Wonderland back to life. Huh? What? Guys, I know I let you down, but I want to make it right. How do you know it'll work? Because I built this place. My mom and I did. But she got sick and had to stop. And I got scared. So scared of losing her that I lost myself. And she would hate to see how I changed. We've all changed. Now buckle up. We're gonna ride that coaster like the wind. Who's with me? I'm with you, June. We are all with you, June. Yeah, that's right. Oh! I still believe in you. <laughs> um, I'm more of a two feet on the ground kind of guy. <laughs> I think there's a weight restriction on that ride, isn't there? Oh, come on, Boomer. There is absolutely no way. Oh, no. I will ever... Uh... We got this. What is it in your world that you need to bring back to life? That you need to, to rebuild? The third thing the people of Judah were instructed to do while in exile was to seek and pray for the shalom of Babylon. Shalom can be translated as peace or welfare, but also refers to wholeness and well-being and ultimate goodness, which is meant to extend to everyone. Shalom is what God desires for every person and for all of creation. Seek peace and wholeness and pray for that same peace and wholeness for your oppressors. Wow, that seems like a pretty tall order, right? That seems really difficult. The people of Judah were being called to re-embrace their identity as God's representative people who join with God in making the world whole, bringing shalom. 
God knew that if the exiles gave in to anger and hatred and only had a desire to, to take revenge against Babylon, that they would become just like Babylon. Even if they could rise up and overthrow Babylon, which was completely unrealistic with the small number of people they had, if their, action, if their actions were motivated by hatred and vengeance, it would destroy them. Not to mention it would just perpetuate the cycle of violence, of oppressor and oppressed. Violent means always have violent ends. What we ultimately pursue will pursue us ultimately to our end. You and I aren't oppressed and in exile like the people of Judah. But you might feel like you're in the midst of enemy territory in some aspect of your life. Whether circumstances arose beyond your control or if you were part of the cause of a struggle, you have agency. You have power. You can be productive and create and do good. And you can do things for the benefit of others, even those who oppose you. And you can pray for God to heal that thing that is causing your enemy to lash out, to hurt others, and to hurt you, which really is just a way of masking their own hurt and pain. Now, I'm not advocating for anyone to put themselves in harm's way or in a situation that is potentially abusive. I want to make that very clear. I'm advocating for agency and the restoration of power. God knows that we must never let the oppressors win. And the oppressor wins if we take on the same hatred and the same anger as the oppressor. That's why we pray for the oppressor. Take back our agency and work for shalom. Listen, if you don't identify with any of this, I want to invite you to put yourselves in the shoes of another as you contemplate this story of exile. Maybe God will place upon your heart a person or a people group that is marginalized in some way. And as you open your heart, maybe God will partner with you to bring hope and healing as an ally to those who live in oppression, whether it's personal or systemic. Until you learn to pray for the oppressor and stand for those who hate you, you won't have peace. You won't have shalom for yourself. Shalom is in the heart of God. God wants shalom for you. And just in case you're wondering, God is always on the side of the oppressed. God always wants shalom for the oppressed. And God wants shalom for the oppressor. God will bring judgment on the oppressor, but that judgment is meant to lead to salvation. Whether you find yourself in a state of exile through circumstances out of your control or as a direct effect of your actions, there is something you can do. Seek and pray for shalom for the oppressors. The fourth thing that the people of Judah were instructed to do while they were in exile was to protect themselves from false prophets. Jeremiah had to correct two false prophets, Hananiah and Shemaiah. They both claimed to know that the exile in Babylon would only last two years. They said this is going to be short. 
But Jeremiah heard from God and knew that wasn't the case. The exile would last for 70 years. And there were lessons that the people of Judah had to learn while in exile. Hananiah and Shemaiah presumed to know what was going on without consulting God. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann says that two great enemies of hope are presumption and despair. Presumption is problematic because it assumes certainty without knowledge or experience or action. And when that which was presumed doesn't come to pass, it causes deep discouragement, right? Despair is problematic because it assumes there is no possibility for change. There's no possibility for anything. Both presumption and despair remove God from the conversation and make judgments based on assumptions rather than God's character. We must protect our hearts from the false prophets and false messages of presumption and despair and cling to hope. The fifth thing the people of Judah were instructed to do in exile was to be patient with God's plan. And by the way, that's the final thing. It's almost over. (laughs) The exiles knew that God was the one who led the exodus out of the Egyptian empire and delivered their ancestors from 400 years of slavery. The exiles knew that God was the one who led their ancestors into the promised land where they built planted, married, had children, saw their children have children, and increased and grew. The most famous verse in Jeremiah 29 is verse 11. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare, shalom, and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. The people of Judah were in exile in Babylon because God was judging them. And God judged them because God loved them. And God's judgment led to their salvation and their liberation. The people of Judah had hope because they knew what to do and how to partner with God in their restoration. God's plan of shalom may not come right now, but it will come. There is hope because we can trust God's character. We can trust God's desire. We can trust God's plan because that plan is shalom. We don't rely on optimism. We have hope in who God is and we follow what God calls us to do. And we can trust that God will lead us as we embrace our agency as God's children to be bearers of God's shalom. Amen. As the ushers come forward, let us pray as we receive the morning's offering. God, you are good to us in a million and one ways. And we respond to your goodness this morning and give with open and generous hearts. Amen.